Viewer discretion advised. Ladies and gentlemen. Please, I've got to have your undivided attention. You're listening to Cheat Pop Radio. That's your assignment. Go to it. With your host, J-Mac and the Sexy Monkey. How much notice do you think you'll need to start acting normal? Good evening, folks, and welcome to the best of Cheat Pop Radio. And what a night it's been, folks. We've worked for hours on getting this for you. And wow, finally going to happen. I'm J-Mac, joined by the Sexy Monkey. <laughs> we, you know, this has been a painstaking chore to get this done, but I'm so happy we could get it done for all uh, all two of you Cheap Pop uh, Radio fans. Yeah, I completely forgot the name of the show. It's been so long. Way to cover that one there, Bob. Again, Cheap Cheap Dogs. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, and thanks for putting up with us for another year. We've had a great year. Some of the best guests, and 2015 is only going to be bigger and better. And, Monkey, let's not waste any time. Let's go straight to it. We're going to kick it off with none other than WWE Hall of Famer Mean Gene Okerlund. He joined us on the show. Unfortunately, you weren't able to join us for the interview. Had some time. had issues getting that set up, just like we got issues setting this up. But nonetheless... Mean Gene We've joined us. We've just got issues. We've just got yes, issues. We... <laughs> if you get married, you'll understand too, folks. Mean Gene talks about his time on the Legends House, what he did with that host on there, Ashley. And then we also touched on him wrestling a few matches that he did in his career and what his friendship with the legend himself, Hulk Hogan, has meant to him. Now, I've got to ask you, you were there for it. What about that host and Ashley there on the Legends House? <laughs> what, what do you want to know about her? <laughs> well, it's, Con- contrary to popular belief, she is not knocked up. <laughs> <laughs> she, and, 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 and it wouldn't have been me because I, I certainly was not that uh, fond of her. It, it, it had to be Jimmy Hart. I was figuring that's who I was blaming. Yeah, was right. <laughs> you, know. you guys are worse than I am. <laughs> we'll do anything for a cheap pop, Gene. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> cheap, cheap pop. I love it. Now, actually, real quick as well, you were booked in a few matches over your career. Was there any of them that you actually really looked forward to, or that you really enjoyed? Not a one. Not a one. Not a one. Hated every one of them. In, yeah, including the one with uh, with Hogan, because uh, the crew had more fun jerking me around. I was supposed to, uh, you know, run two blocks. Well, you run two blocks ten times because he couldn't get a take on it, uh, <laughs> and and all of a sudden the rib works. Yeah, uh, I, I I did team up with Sheamus, which uh, you know was a kind of a, a gimmick deal anyway. So. But uh, the Mark Madden stuff was absolutely, uh, to me, disgraceful. Uh, wow. I had no part of it, and I was uh, whatever Vince Russo was smoking at the time. <laughs> at least you did, uh, you know, you you told the company line. There's a lot of people that wouldn't. I've got a quick question. You know, it seems like, like you and Hogan have truly been, you know, best friends. Uh, uh, and I am today. In his whole career, and that's what I was going to ask. Are you truly, uh, you know, are you guys two best friends? Yeah, very, very good friends. Very good friends, and we talk talk a lot, not only about the business, but we talk about a lot of personal things. 
And, uh, you know, wrestlers have got feelings, too. And Of course. Uh, there's no question in my mind that uh, Terry Bollea, Hulk Hogan, has uh, has been through hell. I mean, he uh, he's had uh, a couple of uh, instances where he's had, you know, some minor problems with the kids. Well, not minor, uh, you know, major, I mean, major. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, that uh, that divorce couldn't have been a picnic. Um, yeah. It's kind of funny you find out after 25 years that uh, she's not quite what you thought she was. Not at all. But you know what, but, Gene? He seems... He seems to have come out on the other end, and and has you know is truly making a, a real uh, comeback and a, and a good redemption story. Yeah, and, and 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 the work through the years because I mean he worked like a madman. Right. Uh, has has taken a toll on his body, between knees and hips and aches and pains and uh, the mental anguish that. Uh, one suffers with uh, extreme pain, and you just can't pop a magic pill to make it go away. It's uh, it's a it's a new thing that's called old age. And uh, my 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 very dear close personal longtime friend, the Nature Boy Ric Flair, is experiencing a little bit of the same as is Roddy Piper and a lot of the guys really. Right. It, it, it's, it's not fun uh, getting, you know, I'm moving a little slower. Not much. And Can't thank tell. God for Viagra. <laughs> it, uh, it keeps me alive. The circulation. Yes, absolutely. Good for your medical, <laughs> medical term. Oh, and I, hey, J-Mac, I have one of my very favorite moments from Cheap Pop Radio this year. You want to guess what it is? Uh, the nut story about you and the UK. <laughs> um, no, no. By the way, my nickname was KP for that. But no, that is not uh, one of my favorite favorite moments uh, of the year. But uh, I'll tell you what was. My good, close, personal friend, Santino Morella. That's right, we had Santino live on Cheap Pop Radio and uh, he was telling us uh, all about uh, Jingle All the Way 2 and that career-threatening wreck. What do you say we give a listen to Santino Morella? You had that, you had that car wreck. You, tell us a little bit about uh, you know, what happened, what was going through your mind, if it still bothers you today. Yeah, no, my, shoulder, my shoulder's okay. I was, I was visiting home for a, whatever, a couple days, and was getting a haircut, and... Just made a mistake, man. I was turning left, and um, I said, "You know what? Screw it. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go right." And I looked back, and you know, the, thought there was one car. And when he passed, I turned, and I just turned right into a van that was going about at 80 kilometers an hour. Man. So it 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 so it started pushing my car, and then my car hit the island because it kind of hit the back tire. And then when it hit the island, it started rolling, but it rolled right into a pole. And um, but where the pole hit was just uh, in the back seat. And if it hit the front seat, I'm pretty sure we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. So wow. uh, it's, I, sep- I separated my shoulder, and uh, actually, um, the car looked like two different cars. 
the front of the car was relatively okay. The back of the car looked like someone died for sure. And wow. uh, so I, I actually um, was able to open the sunroof because there was a power sunroof, and I actually walked out that way. I stepped out through the sunroof. And, uh, yeah, that was pretty crazy, man. I was I remember thinking right away, oh, my God, I have to go to Puerto Rico tomorrow. And uh, I called, it's funny, you know, I called my dad, and then I called Johnny Hayes, like a second call, you know. <laughs> It's it's amazing how that uh, I mean, and, until you, you've been up there, you experienced it. It's uh, that is like you just went through a near life threatening situation. It's like okay, better call dad, better call Johnny Ace. <laughs> it's it's kind of yeah. crazy when you think yeah. about it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a vocation. I mean, you, you you're especially when uh, back then we started working five days a week. So, and then plus the tour. So you you literally are doing like you know between I don't know. 280, 300 days a year. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. So it, it definitely consumes your life, you know, kills your relationships, and you miss a lot of birthdays and weddings and that kind of stuff. And that's, it's not, um, those aren't, those aren't stories. Those are, those, that's, that's the truth, man. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's all. Shoot, uh, I know, uh, I know many, many different inside stories on that one. And, and like you said, that's, uh, that's not a story. That's all. Shoot, you miss a lot of good stuff, but. Uh, you know, you get a lot of good stuff out of it, too. And we're back from commercial. Actually, uh, Santino, you got something new coming up. Uh, actually, real soon, you're going to start shooting your first movie. Tell us about it. Uh, it's Jingle All the Way, too. No way. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Man. Hey, are you are you going to do that? Uh, remember you talking about the TV show gimmick? You ever go anywhere with that? Uh, yeah. We're actually, uh, oh, um, my sitcom. Yeah, yeah. We filmed yeah. the pilot. And um, um, the pilot, the WWE did, wasn't that good, but uh, we're doing stuff right now. We're, we're filming a sizzle reel for a reality show for the WWE Network, which is like a perfect fit. So oh, I'll get I'll get something going. I want to have my own talk show in a couple of years when I'm done wrestling. We were joined by Lucha Underground superstar. You can catch that every Wednesday night. Johnny Mundo, otherwise known as former tag team champion and former intercontinental champion, John Morrison joined us told us what's been going on in the life of an Eminem superstar. And he tells us more about Lucha Underground and what to expect. Ladies and gentlemen, it's an honor to welcome to a show a friend, somebody I go back with, God, almost ten years. He is a three-time WWE Intercontinental Champion, a five-time World Tag Team Champion, and a former World Heavyweight Champion. You can catch him each and every week on Lucha Underground. Please join us in welcoming John Morrison. That's formerly known as John Morrison and currently known as Lucha Underground Superstar John Mundo. Welcome. <laughs> Well, that's fantastic. Great to be here, guys. Jeremy, um, dude, like you were a head of the original paparazzi for Eminem back in Louisville, 2004, <laughs> 2005. It's been forever since we talked. And um, Sexy Monkey, I hear you're on on a uh, on this too. Sexy Monkey, yeah, the brother, infamous yeah, all nighters. What yeah. up, man? <laughs> the infamous all nighters. You know it, buddy. We tried to steal everything we could of yours, but you were too damn good at it. So. The quote El Guapo infamous means more than famous. Um, so, uh, did you guys did you guys get a chance to watch Lucha Underground? 
I'm here at the, the Lucha Underground after party. We had a little uh, screening party. A bunch of the, uh, the stars and stuff of Lucha Underground are here. We watched the show together, so I don't have a ton of time. But I wanted to, uh, <laughs> I wanted to come on the air and, and share with you guys and everybody um, how excited I am for Lucha Underground. And um, really, I, I think that it's a promotion that is, is going to change a lot of perceptions and um, update some old-school mentality about the way wrestling shows can be put together and run. Um, as you saw, I mean, Lucha Underground has got, obviously, badass wrestling, <laughs> Johnny Mundo. <laughs> um, but seriously, like, uh, I mean, Chavo Guerrero, you got um, Prince Puma, formerly known as Ricochet. That dude is one of the most talented guys I've ever been in the ring with. And um, wait till the next episodes come out. There's a ton of luchadors from uh, from Mexico that came out that are just going to blow people's minds with the, uh, with the, the skills and the moves that they have. But on top of that, Lucha Underground has the uh, that gritty action film vibe, the uh, the thumbprint of Robert Rodriguez all over it, which I, I think is a uh, is what really sets it apart stylistically from any other wrestling show that uh, that you've ever seen. And like you said, it's it just came out. You can catch it on the L Ray Network right there on Time Warner Cable, DirecTV, Comcast, all of that. Make sure you check it out. And like our, You've got actually one of the producers of the show, Mark Mark Burnett. He's huge in the reality TV business, and he's got his hands in this as well. Yeah, Mark Burnett, the uh, the crazy Australian. Um, he uh, I don't know why I said crazy Australian, like a, like a Russian Australian accent. Got <laughs> that, that accent thing where every time I do an accent, it drifts to either Scottish or Russian or Jamaican or something. But uh, yeah, Mark uh, Mark Burnett, man. Um, obviously, like a huge in the reality TV space and um, in the TV space in general, responsible for uh, tons and tons of reality TV, most notably Survivor, the dude that uh, that came up with uh, the, one of the original reality shows, Survivor. So the guy is not hurting for money, which is nice because he's, and uh, him and Robert are bankrolling Luch Underground, which is which is evident in the production value that we got going on. I'll jump in. I'll jump in. There you Tell go. you what, <laughs> I want to ask you, what first, what first drew you, why were you drawn to this, I know you've been you've been holding out. People have been throwing money at you, throwing contracts at you. People want you on their show. What was so unique and special about Lucha Underground that drew you to their product? There's a there's a couple of things. One, um, I was a, a film major at UC Davis, and I've been interested in movies my whole life. Before I before I even did Tough Enough, I had made a I wrote, directed, and starred in a movie <laughs> I did in college, and I and I made three short films, like all action films, The Foot of Death, Kung Fu, uh, movies about people with dangerous feet. And um, Lucha Underground is a, sort of a collision of worlds, so to speak. It's, it's stylistically like watching a movie. The, the vignettes, I think, um, and it's, uh, it's also, well, the vignettes, I think, show what I'm talking about. It's gritty, it's film noirish, it's, it's got a style that's different from any other wrestling show. And the wrestling is, I've been a fan of Lucha my whole career, too. One of, like, my favorite matches of all time was Eminem debuting in MSG, Eminem versus Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. Another one of my favorite matches was 2009, wrestling Rey Mysterio in a, in a singles match for the IC title. Um, seeing Rey in WCW really opened my eyes to the possibilities of, of movement and, and um, acrobatics inside a wrestling ring. And then ECW watching... Juventud Guerrero, Psychosis, Super Crazy, and, and Ray. I mean, 
it uh they they brought lucha to North America to I mean to United States Canada um Conan as well who's also involved with lucha underground so the the opportunity to be in a spot where my worlds collide lucha acrobatics american style pro wrestling gritty action films mm-hmm. i mean I, I just couldn't say no and um it is also pretty convenient that we tape every episode in my hometown of los angeles so it's uh dude it's for, for me this is like the the best job ever it's mm-hmm. perfect Hey, you know what? Uh, another one that pops to my mind, uh, one of the biggest guests I think that we had on the show, a uh, WCW legend, no doubt, uh, former manager of the Four Horsemen, woo! Uh, J.J. Dillon, we had him on the air, and uh, you know he talked to us about his book and and had some wonderful stories for us and uh, some uh, road stories, too. J-Mac, I know you absolutely loved this interview with J.J. Dillon. I did. Let's take a quick listen to J.J. Dillon. Um, you're obviously an old-school guy. Did you find it difficult to uh, break kayfabe and, and, and delve into those kind of things? Uh, you know, I, I it, it's really a... Uh, a narrow rope to walk because uh, we made our lives in the regional territories, basically protecting the business. There were people that came to see wrestling on a regular basis. A lot of those arenas, whether it was uh, Thursday night in Amarillo or Tuesday at at the Armory in Tampa, uh, the people that came to wrestling in those days, they were weekly uh, events and they were creatures of habit, and they would bring their kids and those same sit in those same seats. and And though you never really got to know them in that era personally, you knew who they were, and you were on a week to week basis, really having to not do anything stupid. Uh, logic was so important. Uh, uh, emotion was so important that. that so that you didn't insult the people. Now, that's not to say that uh, people came every week thinking, you know, hey, this is the real, real deal. Uh, but if I always said that wrestling performed at its highest level, it, it really it, it it looks so real that it becomes real. And to many no, people, no, it is the real deal. It was real. <laughs> it was yeah. a real deal. And yep. I always uh, took took pride in. Uh, in the, in that fact, uh, mm-hmm. one of my biggest influences in the very beginning, even without really understanding why he was so great, was Johnny Valentine. I had a fan club for him as a kid, and he <laughs> was not somebody who was flamboyant that came out and, and uh, was uh, you know just spectacular in terms of drawing attention to him. He was somebody who came out that just had that air about him and. He's attributed to the to the comment, and I and though I I never heard him say it, uh, I could believe that he would say it. That he used to say that no matter what I tell you, I'm never going to make you believe that professional wrestling is real. It doesn't matter what I say, but one thing I can do is I can convince you that Johnny Valentine is real. And he used oh. to lay those guys over the top rope and chopped him or forearm in the chest to the back and, and sweat would fly and 
welts would come up and uh, you see that same thing in other uh, people along the way, the Wahoo McDaniels of the world, the Ric Flairs of the world. And these were what made believers out of the fans and why they wanted to come back each week. And so I, that's what I, I focus on. And, uh, I tr- you know, you you can't, you know, so much has been said, you know, the, the word sports entertainment. But I recently read where Stone Cold Steve Austin was really – offended by that terminology that he he took pride in in his style of wrestling and and doesn't like the term uh sports entertainment and to be honest with you i i don't either and yeah. if you go back and look at dusty Rhodes introducing us at my in miami when the horsemen were inducted into the wwe hall of fame it's the one night where the WWE lets the people that are involved go out there basically with uh, no restrictions to go out there and say what you want and what's in your heart, and it's your night. And Dusty Rhodes, when he said it, shouted out and shouted out professional wrestling with a lot of pride. And probably the other 365 days out of the year, you know, he's in an environment where – he can't use those same words. He's got to refer to it as sports entertainment. <laughs> now, now let me let me ask you something. I don't want to go off off the lines too far, but I read your book. Big fan, of course. Um, you had some great road stories in there. Is there any road stories that maybe you didn't touch that you wish you put in there, or were there so many that you couldn't go into one, or maybe one you could share with us? Oh wow, that's you know. <laughs> The the book was written, like I say, 10 years ago. And then uh, the original printing sold out, uh, uh, like, uh, back in June of this year, and which means that the people had to work to find it. And I used to take copies with me when I would go to Cauliflower Alley Club, where I've been going. This would be the 10th year coming up, and I'm a lifetime member. And it's their 50th anniversary coming up, which is a real milestone. And... uh, for 10 years in a row, I've been going to induction weekend of the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame up in Amsterdam, New York, which is, uh, you know, it's a departure from the WWE for Hall of Fame. But if you go to if you go to my website, jjdillon.com, you'll see the book at the top, which, you know, you can look on it and you can look at the reviews, which I would say is where you should go. See what people who have read the book you know, the comments that they made. And it's from people who are fans, people who are in the business, and it it has touched different people in in different ways. Um, But if you link, go on to the link for Cauliflower Alley Club, it explains, uh, you know, what they're about. But the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame is, uh, it's a non-legitimate, non-profit organization, and they have a museum, and it's the only brick-and-mortar museum totally devoted to preserving and honoring the history of professional wrestling. And and as I tell every baseball fan, you need to go to Cooperstown to the the Hall of Fame at some time in your lifetime, and it's less than an hour drive from there. And that museum, it defies description. And you... You see in my website some of the scenes uh, and get a little touch of it. And I noticed that the Hall of Fame has just put up a video that uh, 
also shows some of the interior footage, but it's constantly uh, changing. They rearrange things. They uh, they're constantly adding things, and it's and it's not tied to any organization, any federation, and it recognizes people uh, who have contributed and made it their life's work in, in all levels of the business. So, uh, I am on the board of directors. It doesn't have the the length of Colorful Alley Club, but this is coming up now, I think, in their 14th uh, year, and we're waiting any day now for the announcement of who's going to be inducted uh, next May at the weekend ceremonies. And I'm, you know, I'm proud and honored to go up there because it is a place where not only do I have a ring that has my name engraved inside, but there's an actual museum with artifacts uh, that I've donated. And from the very first year with, the, you know, the Andre the Giants of the world and the people who, who should have been honored when they first uh, opened the doors to the place, um, 2013, I was honored, uh, and there's a plaque on the wall. And I have a plaque at home that they gave me, and there's one on display, and it's there every year to, when I go back. And as a new class is inducted, they, they put new plaques up for the new people. And it's a, it's a very, very special place. And uh, um, just it's, it's an emotional time for me every time I go back there. Folks, we were joined by the Memphis legend himself. He was the man that called a lot of the action down there in the Mid-South Coliseum. That's right. Joined by the legendary Lance Russell. And my boy, let me tell you some stories. And that's exactly what he did with us on Cheap Pop Radio. But the biggest story, he was there to call it Andy Kaufman Breaks into Wrestling. Let's hear the story of how it all went down. Tell us about the storyline, really, that changed wrestling. The Andy Kaufman being welcomed into Memphis. Tell us about that experience. That, That is everything about it was totally surreal. And I am here to tell you, if somebody would have told 99% of the population that would hear it would never believe anything like, here you got a guy from New York City who is the least-looking athlete you ever saw, a guy who was a absolutely, completely devoted wrestling fan, he loved to lay up there in Long Island where he was growing up in his bedroom by himself and hooting and hollering and like most of us did from one time to another. And and he would sit there and watch the heels control the crowd and bring them up when he wanted to have them going, ooh, and so forth, and settling them down and starting all over again and able to control the crowd just with a twist of a hand and some of the motions they used to make. And uh, it it, it was a thing that just got Andy where he couldn't think of anything else. He then went on to become a nightclub comic, and one of the things that he decided to add to it was a inner gender, that means both men and women, wrestling contest he had his girlfriend play the part of a female and that he picked out of the audience and ended up with a wrestling match and he never wrestled anybody but women 
And so one day he wanted to go into the East Coast with the promoters up there and get into wrestling and try it just to be able to go out in front of the people. Now, that was the plan, but unfortunately they wouldn't take him in the East Coast. And he ran into um, a guy with a wrestling magazine, a writer. Uh, that's a likely character, or unlikely as you may look at it, depending on whether you knew him or not. And and he would say, why don't you call Memphis, Tennessee? They got the wildest stuff you ever saw. And sure enough, right down to Jerry Jarrett's territory where Jerry Lawler was and all of those other guys, uh, he called and said, hey, could you use me down there with my intergender wrestling? I'll wrestle the women right down there. And they'll say, well, I don't know. What's it going to cost us to get you down there? Oh, don't worry about that. I'll get an airplane, and I'll pay for it myself. Take care of my <laughs> own room, my food, and the whole thing. Well, when was the last time you ever think a promoter in wrestling heard those guys say <laughs> things like that, that they would take <laughs> that they would pay for their own. Well, no. But here's a guy that was coming all the way from New York to Memphis, Tennessee, and have a wrestling match match with uh, one of the young ladies that had been picked out at random to get in the ring with him. And then it all began and ended up with Jerry Lawler, the top baby face and heel, facing the top comic of the nation, uh, Andy Kaufman and from his show Taxi and they met in the ring and packed the place you could not squeeze another person in if you'd have had to and it all ended up in a big movie called Man on the Moon with uh, Jim Carrey playing the part of Andy Kaufman and uh, now, are you going to believe that scenario do you think that could have <laughs> happened do you think that this amazing comic wrestler who disappeared an hour before ring time because he had to go in the in his locker room and and meditate for an hour before he got in the ring and whipped some gal that had been selected <laughs> to come up there against him. Now, is that a true story? Would anybody ever believe a story like that? That's the way Ooh, it happened, a- boys. You heard it from me, the mouth of the South. No, that's Jimmy Hart, yeah. I forgot about it. So that's the way it was, guys. That was the most unbelievable story that ever played out in front of my eyes, I can tell you for a fact. It was fun, though. Okay. This this is a Twitter question, actually, from uh, Rusty. His question, you actually mentioned YouTube, and just the way I guess YouTube really helps re- I guess re-educate the wrestling some of the wrestling fans. But you were a part of a video that really went viral over the time. You and Jerry Lawler featuring a doctor in an interview that it was obviously a rib. Oh, you had to bring it up. <laughs> I had to. That was that was from well, Rusty right you know, there on Twitter. That's kind of a sore point. I've gotten over it being a sore point because <laughs> it really was not something that was for broadcast or the consumption, and I know. That's one of the reasons that people probably really jumped all over it and wanted to see it. It was it was one of Jerry Lawler's pranks, and believe me, from the day I ever met him, 
to right to this moment, he's still ready to pull pranks on me or anybody else that he's around. And he he pulled this guy in there, and and the doctor was an older gentleman, and he was used to more uh, a sedentary life rather than the excitement <laughs> of WC. I mean of Memphis wrestling, and Lawler brought him in, and, and he started going out, going on doing inspections. Well now. I did the interview for Lawler, and I had no idea that they were taping this. And I won't go on with the whole story. (laughs) There were some things that uh, weren't too funny to me, but anyhow, I think a lot of people enjoyed a whole lot of it. As they they saw some in in some some of the, uh, the searching that the... The doctor had to do to perform his duties and this and that and all that. Okay, next question, please. (laughs) You've had enough of that one. Next question. Oh, boy, have I had enough of that the last four lifetimes. (laughs) And, folks, this season, like I said, we were joined by many names. And this time we were joined by a bad man. And I'm not talking about the sexy monkey. I'm talking about Johnny B. Bad himself. Mark Miro joined us on the show. He gave us a little inside story on how the Johnny B. Bad character was formed. And I know if you're just like me, you had questions about that famous bad blaster that he carried around with him to the ring. And if you ever had any malfunction stories with it. And I know this is going to be close for the sexy monkey. Owen Hart, longtime fan of Owen Hart. Owen Hart pulled quite the rib on Johnny B. Bad, or Mark Miro, and the British Bulldog. And then we'll hear his thoughts on the Brawl for All. You got repackaged as Johnny B. Bad. Now, you said Dusty Rhodes seeing that. Was that his idea for the gimmick? Or was that something you were already doing prior? No, 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 no. Um, you know, I mean, I've only, I only got to wrestle for WCW a couple times as, the, uh, as kind of an enhancement uh, wrestler uh, before I was lucky enough to, to, you know, when Dusty Rhodes approached me about the character. It was his idea. I mean, he, I remember him coming to me and he said, Hey kid, anybody ever tell you you look like a little Richard? And I said, Who's little Richard? <laughs> <Dead ringer. laughs> you know? And uh next thing I know, I got all this makeup on, my hair done, uh, I had to shave my mustache real thin and I guess I look like a little Richard. <laughs> you never heard that before? Never. No, That's never right. heard that before. I didn't even know, I didn't know who he was talking about. I, I thought when he asked me that he was talking about another wrestler. I know he was talking about, you know, the singer little Richard. And um, then, you know, once I got in a tanning bed and they did some makeup, I said, oh, my gosh, there's a little bit of resemblance there. That's him. And after you paired with Teddy there, we we actually got to see the, the baby side, the baby face of Johnny B. Bad come out. Um, you got the Bad Blaster. Did you ever have any <laughs> issues with the Bad Blaster along the time while using it? Yeah, carrying that stupid thing around to airports and everything. <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. That would not happen today, okay? That, that thing would not be able to go through airports today, you know? Or, no. <laughs> you know, because we carry, you know, we had to carry CO2 canisters, you know? Oh, my gosh. And so the bad blaster would have uh, would have ended. But uh, it was Did it ever, did it ever malfunction in the ring, though? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was, uh, yes, it, it, I've had my, my, my issues with it. Not often, but every once in a while you have something go wrong. 
But uh, the good thing about the, the the character Johnny B. Bad, you always play things off like is no big deal, you know, like yeah, right. off. <laughs> you had twenty other things to work with, <laughs> right? Now, after WCW went out of business, were you able to actually get your hands on the Bad Blaster? Did you get to keep that, or? Oh yeah, I mean, I still have it. <laughs> yeah, I got I got two of them. I had so nice. many gimmicks going to the ring. I mean, the bad blast didn't work. I had frisbees in my pocket. I had everything, man. I I had go. kisses that you put on the kids, kiss that don't miss. Self promotion machine. Yeah, yeah. The two F fruit. I had it all. <laughs> Good stuff. Now, one thing that's infamous behind the scenes are ribs. You were there during during the time of Owen Hart, who was known as a master of the ribs. <laughs> You ever yeah. have any of those pulled on you? <laughs> yeah. How could you not wrestle with Owen and not have a rib pulled on you? <laughs> um, yes, there was one that I remember. Um, gosh, he got he got me and Davy Boy. We were in, we were in the locker room and we were getting ready to wrestle each other. And uh, so Davy Boy kind of wanted like when he told when he went over a match, he like he liked to have private you know quiet and privacy. So we went in this locker room and all of a sudden we heard the the, the door shut. And Owen put a padlock on the door that nobody had a key to. Oh, wow. So here we are locked <laughs> in this dressing room, and I hear my entrance music. <laughs> so, so that was a that was a good one. We panicked for a little while and finally had to break down the door or something. I can't remember how they got that thing off, but we finally got it off and um, went to the ring. But uh, that was typical Owen. <laughs> Owen, wow. It, it may, when you think back, it's, it's, it was such a tragedy and still is to this point. It yeah. was. I was at the Raw the night after, and and I cried the whole time. It was terrible. Yeah, he was. He was a really good guy. I mean, not only just good guy, but a good family man. He loved his kids. I mean, just a great father and person. And you know, and and, and you know what the talks that I would have with Owen were. He was looking forward to the to getting out of the business so he could spend more mm-hmm. time with his family because he was always traveling. He saved his money. He was very smart. And um, of course, what a what a tragedy. Everybody says the same thing, yep. It's, I'd actually seen a picture of his son here recently, and I tell you, it's it's almost a knockout resemblance. Really? How old I have not, wow. Well. Yeah, it it makes you get it actually makes you get goosebumps when you see it. Do you know how old his son is now? Uh, I think he's, if I'm not mistaken, uh, don't quote me on it, right around 22, 23. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That sounds about right. It doesn't, it doesn't. When you think about it, it doesn't. But when you add it up, it sounds about right. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah and he's, wow. Uh, being the boxing thing, you actually saw that they kind of take it to the boxing when they did the bra for all. What was it like taking <laughs> part in that? Well... <laughs> That was a that was a crazy thing. I'm I, obviously uh, the first person put me in was like uh, was Steve Blackman who just kept taking me down. <laughs> it's just yeah. ridiculous. And uh, you know never never got hurt doing those matches, but it was just uh, frustrating. And then and then he got hurt, and so they asked me to come back in it, which was kind of cool because it was like I was going to go against Bradshaw, and Bradshaw. I mean, he's obviously a lot bigger than me, and. Uh, <laughs> But he was a guy that was not—he was not very nice to people, you know. Nope. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, I believe me, this is nothing to do what I got. To, I have no, no regrets or, or say anything bad about anybody. I, you know, it's just that at that time he was—you know—he wasn't—he he didn't like me. I don't think he still likes me, but it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and um, when they told me that I, I would get to go against him, I was like kind of excited about it because <laughs> he wasn't a nice guy, you know. 
and I have, what do I got to lose? He's a foot taller than me and 100 pounds more than me. You know, what do I got to lose? So um, right. I went in there, and we, we actually fought to a draw, and then we had to go to an extra round, and they gave the decision to him. Um, and um, But, again, no no hard feelings. Or, you know, he won the match, and and uh, he moved on, and, and then he got knocked out by um, um, Bart Gunn. Yeah. yeah. On paper, that looked great. Uh, it just didn't, you know. I, they they never would have dreamed that Bart Gunn was going to win, and I you know I think they 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 had their money on on Steve Williams and, and Doctor Death, and you saw you know you know what happened. Yeah. <laughs> well, look what happened to Bart Gunn when he when he, they put him in a pay per view against a real boxer, Butterbee. You know. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> exactly. He got, he got knocked out cold immediately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, when they announced the brawl, for all, what was the initial reaction? I guess backstage with some of the guys. Thinking, well, oh you know, here's the thing. I think the guys that that had balls did it, you know, and and the, and the, the so-called guys that you know didn't want to expose themselves um, didn't want to be in it. So yeah, you know, it says it all. If you got some guts, and I, I was not, I never was afraid to fight someone or get in the ring with someone, so it didn't didn't bother me. But there was guys that I knew they didn't want to be exposed, you know. By, Tells you some and of the unfortunately, guys that's what and that's what happened to some of the guys that got really exposed in the ring. Um, I certainly can't defend a takedown. <laughs> so, <laughs> and there's other guys that uh, turned out to have, you know, glass jaws or, or just couldn't fight. They they couldn't couldn't crack an egg. You know. <laughs> Hey, you know, my brother actually had a great year as well listening to Cheap Pop Radio. One of his very favorite superstars from WCW. Uh, He was the innovator of the selfie. And he also had a lot to say about the sexy monkey. Yes, sir, it's Mr. Sonny Ono. Ladies and gentlemen, Cheap Pop Radio, myself and the Sexy Monkey are thrilled to welcome to the show our guest for the evening. The Professional Karate Association named him the best in the world. He was a manager of champions in WCW. Please join us in welcoming Sonny Ono. Hey, thanks for having me. What kind of monkey you have there? What? What? <laughs> 
we, what? We have a sexy monkey. <laughs> sexy monkey. Is there any other kind of monkey? I don't know. Any any kind of monkeys you want, we'll get for you, sir. All right, all right. So is sexy monkey? Uh, uh, is that like is that you? Is, is that a guy? <laughs> is it some kind of some kind of nurse or something? I don't know. Hey, it depends. It depends what you, it depends what you want. We'll get we'll get it for you. Don't you worry. But I just want to tell you guys, and I want you to say this every time you mention my name. Just remember. I'm the guy who invented the selfie. <laughs> Sonny Ono, the master of the selfie, the, interve- the innov- inventor innovator of the, of the selfie. Remember, if you look <laughs> at every one of my pay-per-view or all my entrants, I'm doing a selfie. Mind you, it was a wind-up throwaway camera, a Fuji camera, but, you know. Same th- Wow. Wow, that's a pretty darn good point. <laughs> so you I want you, to, we'll I want you guys selfie. to start a campaign. Every time you mention my name, Say, innovator of selfies. And if you think I'm lying, go on YouTube or go look at all those stuff. Go look at all the photos. I'm doing a selfie with every entrance. You I remember it? now. Wow, I am actually amazed by that because I remember that very clearly. Right. That is, that's a, we do have to start, we got to start it. J-Mac, get on we'll it. We'll get it going. Yeah, I want you to start a campaign, okay, that, look, there's actually a television show now called Selfies. I mean, for God's sake, you know, everybody does it. But remember, I'm the one who was doing it first on television. I'm sure there was other people who actually did on their own selfie, but they weren't on television. I'm the first one. I'm the only one who started it before. See, I'm always ahead of my time. <laughs> wow. Can we get some Broke kind of lawsuit you. for you on that? <laughs> yeah, well, work on a loyalty for me, will you? There okay. we go. Let's get them royalties. You mentioned real quick getting the campaign started. Can the fans follow you on any social media? Yeah, you know, I'm on I'm on a Facebook, you know, as as Sunny Ono, so you can you can find me on there. And and um, you know, I'm I'm I I don't you know, I, I, I never yet to refuse anybody who's mostly my fans and they're great. Um they're they're very generous and kind. Um, you know, I still get um um autograph requests through the mail and, and uh I mean it was great last you know, last couple of weeks that, that I got to uh, I did a show in North Carolina like I said um, and then I did a legend um, autograph signing with uh, Tori Wilson, Eric Bischoff, you know, Ming. I mean, everybody was there, um, and and uh, uh, that was great, you know. And and it's great to see the fans still remembers me. And and of course, we're back on television now with you know with with WWE 24/7. That you know Nitro's on there. So and since I was on a lot of those shows, so you know it's it's. It's, you know, I'm being rediscovered by a whole new generation of uh, uh, fans. We were joined by ECW original. Mikey Whipwreck joined us. He talked to us about the time he found out. He actually thought it was a red being pulled on him when he was told he was going to win the television title. And the time Terry Funk had to cancel his appearance and be, he became tag team champions with Mick Foley, Cactus Jack. And then we'll also hear about him working with the Japanese buzzsaw, Tajiri. Let's take a quick listen. You'd been there, man. You got the you got the momentum going on your side. Uh, what was it like, I guess, to find out the, your initial reaction that you're actually going to win the ECW World Television Championship? Uh, I thought it was a rip. Don <laughs> Gordon says, "Hey, champ, Mike. Hey, what's up?" You know, I thought it was just like you know, it was just saying, "Hey," and uh, it's like, "No, we're, we're putting the TV belt on you tonight." Get the what? Get the fuck out of here! 
<laughs> you know, that's, that's funny. Funny haha. Rib on Mikey. And, uh, yeah, then it happened. So it was kind of like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> so did you think it was do. a rib all the way? You thought it was a rib until until the you went over or, or until? Pretty much. Like, uh, even the whole deal with, like, Taz coming out, I go, okay, Taz is going to come out and get distracted. <laughs> I'm going to go for a cover. He's going to well, kick out and then kick me in the face and pin me. I said, okay, I got it. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no, he actually kind of stayed down, kind of. He kind of rolled around a bit. But, uh, yeah. What a swerve. I was, I I was probably it. more in shock than the guy in the front row with the sign who hated me. <laughs> That's, awesome. That's great. Uh, if if Terry Funk hadn't canceled his appearance, uh, how do you feel like it would have affected your career? Uh, it probably would have been it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, no, it was... Um, Cactus's idea, I guess, or Todd, you know, they said, hey, how about Mikey does it? And that was another fucking big rib. I said, okay, now this is a fucking rib. Okay, yeah. I can see the TV belt. Okay, I lost a couple weeks ago to Jason. I said, okay, now I'm going to replace Terry Funk. Right. <laughs> sure. That's funny. And that, yeah. that worked out, too, surprisingly. Yeah. Yeah, Got a big following with that. And since you're mentioning ribs, and I, and I know we're actually short on time, I've got to ask you, with you, you you were paired with Jerry there for a little bit. He was yep. known for pulling the rib that he couldn't speak any English. Right. <laughs> Did he pull that over in ECW as well? He doesn't speak English. Well, <laughs> the the least bit. What do you What do you want me to say about one of my good friends? He doesn't speak English. And I'll leave okay. That. Well, okay. He speaks well, to He speaks to Jerry. You got You got to okay. hear him at two o'clock at TJ Friday's drunk at the bar. <laughs> There's not a bit of English in there, huh? <laughs> Absolutely not. That's funny. <laughs> the best is I told him one time, I said, well, we were supposed to win the tag belts uh, at that tournament. And I told to Jerry, I told him, I said, hey, I said, we're going to, I said, Paul told me we we're going we're gonna to win the tag belts next month. He goes, really? I go, fuck, what <laughs> fucking Scooby-Doo, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's cheaper right. than Rosetta Stone. Yeah. I guess right. so. Oh, my God. Jerry's <laughs> awesome. It's time. It's time. What time do you think it is, J Mac? I think it's way past our bedtime. But go on. <laughs> that it is. But it's also Vader time. That's right. Uh, we had Big Van Vader right here live on Cheap Pop Radio. Uh, he talked with us about his uh, time in Japan. Some of the great stuff he's done in WCW, and he also had a little bit story uh, about a Owen Hart rib uh, that's worth a definite worth a second listen. So go on and listen to this from Veda. With this new celeb uh, videos, with that as well, it's not the first time you've actually been in front of a camera. You've actually done some entertainment uh, television shows as well. Boy Meets World, big big reactions to that. <laughs> So. You know what? That just won't go away. Um, I, I co-starred in a movie called Sister North Star, and uh, thought I was huge. I was just—I mean, I was legit, four fifteen, and, and you know, you think of a four hundred pound man. I was—I was big. I, I was more big than I was fat. I mean, I had like thirty inch arms, and I was bench pressing six hundred pounds, and uh, just was this massive individual, and I. I uh, Lost some weight. I'm, I'm I'm actually down to 352 pounds right now, and that seems like a lot, but to me, that's 
I mean, I, I feel normal. I feel thin at this weight. And, uh, and then the Boy Meets World uh, uh, just showed this, you know, I think I did two or three episodes, and it's just, it's amazing how it just, it won't go away. People just, you know, I, I just saw the episode of you on Boy Meets World. I'm like, God, that was 20 years ago. And just showing it, so. And now they've actually, they've just revived the series with Boy Meets Girl. Is there a possibility we'll see you return on there? Well, you know, I certainly hope so. <laughs> now, before we hit on CelebVM.com, one more thing. You've shared a locker room with a lot of guys. One that always sticks out to me as well was the late great Owen Hart. Um, he, he was a master of the ribs. Did he ever pull any ribs on you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. You know, we were at the Slammy Awards. It was my first Slammy Awards in uh, WWE, and I don't know who put him up to it, but uh had a camera on me. It was probably Vince or Davy Boy or Brett or somebody, but uh, had the camera on me, and I had gotten a Slammy Award for something. I don't know. I just got to the WWE, and uh, a picture, somehow he was... I don't know. I should have saw it coming, but he was serving some food and water, and of course it got dumped on me on camera. And uh, I remember I didn't know what to do, so I just stood up and chased him until I got off camera and, and then wiped myself off and politely went up to my room and took off my clothes and went to bed. So I missed the rest of the show. <laughs> but, you hear hey, stories. Rest in peace. You know, I, I originally met him in... Uh, in Japan, was, I think it was my first trip over there. Uh, I got off the plane and there was they had a little bus for us, and it was a guy named Jerry Blackwell and Owen Hart and uh, myself. We rode from the airport to the hotel in Tokyo together. So that was my first memory of Owen. A class act. I met him once. Went out of his way. Great guy. True Hall of Famer there. Hopefully, we'll get to see that at some point as well. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, he had a lot of talent. And we were joined by a friend of the show. He was high-fiving in TNA as Jimmy J, and now he's still terrorizing the Internet as Jason James. We were joined by him as he talked to us about his time with TNA. But what I really took away from the interview was when he went into detail about rooming with the legendary Earl Hepner and the screw job and how it really affected Earl Hepner's life after. And let's take a quick listen. I roomed with Earl. Earl was my roommate uh, from the time that I, I started on the road till I left there. Uh, so you can just imagine seven years every night, you know, three to four nights a week, staying in a hotel room with Earl Hebner. There's stories there alone, you know. <laughs> that learning uh, tree, though, man, wow. To sit under a learning tree like Earl Hebner, they, you know, the only other person would, would be Vince McMahon. I mean, they, it's really that close. He's seen and done it all, and been in every in every main event ever. Yeah, I, I and, and that is true. I mean, the knowledge that that guy possesses alone is is invaluable. And, and yep. I mean, even you know, Road Dog and Velo and Dutch Mantel. You know, you get to travel with these guys. You get to listen to them. You get to talk to them. You get you know, uh, you know. Sometimes, like you know, I I, I told. Uh, Another recent interview I did, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, I was traveling with D-Lo and Pat Kenny. We discussed the show. They'd ask me my ideas, my opinions, and, 
And a lot of times would, you know, carry out whatever I suggested as far as, you know, hey, maybe we do this here and put this over here because it makes more sense. We'll go into the intermission and keep them happy. That way they'll buy some merchandise, you know, whatever it had to be. Um, but, yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely. It was it was a free education. I was going to college for seven years yep. and didn't pay a dime. It was paying me. That's awesome. <laughs> and being, being a big referee mark myself, I've got to ask. Be in there with Earl. Do you think we'll ever see him go back home to, to WWE? You know what? I have had this conversation with him uh, probably a hundred times. I bet. <laughs> um, I think Earl. The way that I know Earl, and 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 he was he's he's my best friend on the road. I'm telling you, he's like a second father to me. Um, that hurt him, man. When they did, when they did what they did, that really it, it, it kind of. I, I would say it put a hole in his heart, you know. Mm. Uh, to, to to be there so long, to be dedicated so long to what he did, and um, the 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 way that things went down uh, with them and him, I believe it really really hurt him. I I, I do believe that he's gotten offers several times um, to, to do something else there. He hasn't yeah. acted on him. I think I think Earl Hasner would be, and he's told me a hundred times. He said, "Jason, if I ever go into a Hall of Fame, it'll be the TNA Hall of Fame." Wow. Uh, and, and he's he's told me that several times. Now, you know, I, I can't I can't promise that that's going to be you know how he feels in five years or next year or next week even. Uh, but but I do believe that that what happened with WWE really really hurt him, and I felt he he, he was really feeling betrayed by that. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. I, I don't well, know if he would go back or not, but you got to think he he gave them literally everything he had for for so long, and even you know, take the most controversial thing in his career, the the screw job. He you know carried it out for him with the foreign secrecy for years, and and refused to say a word, and then for them to turn on him the way they did. It had to have hurt. Uh, yeah, it would anybody. Yeah, I mean, you're talking. Uh, I think it was, uh, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but somewhere 17 years. I think he was there. Yep. Uh, Even you know, I mean, gosh, that's 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 pretty much 50 percent of your your you know your work life. I don't like you do it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah uh, you do it right. <laughs> he was he was there for so long. Yeah, he he the the sacrifices that. Not only him, but anybody, you know, that works their schedule. And you guys know, I mean, you know, you, you miss holidays, you miss birthdays, you miss Christmases, you know, you, you miss New Year's, anniversaries, whatever. I mean, just you got to look at something like that and say, yeah, man, gosh, the, just the sacrifices that he made and just to see it go down, how it went down, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, puts a bad taste in your mouth. Oh, my goodness. Uh, how could we have a best of show without. My brother Sean's very favorite world championship wrestling wrestler of all time, Glacier. That's right. Uh, Glacier was on. He talked to us about his custom gear, that uh, dedication to his father on there, and uh, just how cool he was in WCW. Do you see what I did there? See what I did there? Let's take a listen. <laughs> now... Well, we'll touch on the wrestling business with you real quick. 
anybody that's done some research on you, it's it's well, it's documented. You were part of a law enforcement family. And yeah. Did they did did your family really support you when you made the decision not to go that way, but to go with the wrestling business? Uh, you know what? It's a it's, it's, it's was a weird transition because uh, uh, I have a one sibling, a twin brother named Ron, and uh, and Ron he knew from the time he was old enough to walk that that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to follow in my father's footsteps and be a Georgia State Trooper. Uh, it was the furthest thing from my mind, and, and I never ever for one second had. You know, a, a, a desire to do that. Uh, so, you know, being that uh, I think early on, like my dad just saw that one of us kind of had that gene and one of us didn't. <laughs> so, um, and uh, and I never, I never, you know, it just it was something that never interested me. The older I got, the more I respected what people in those positions do because, um, you know, let's face it, I mean, you know, people, they kind of, I think people throw it out there kind of lightly, but, but really, I mean, it's one of the very few professions where you go to work and you really, literally may not come home. You know, and uh, and as I got older, that's when I really started to respect what my father did because my dad was a highly decorated state trooper uh, by the time he retired. As a matter of fact, he retired about a month before my brother graduated from trooper school. My brother did go on to be a, a highly decorated trooper himself, um, and my dad worked it out to where my brother got my dad's badge number, which was uh, 126, and, uh, and that was a very, very special thing in our family. And, uh, um, and, uh, and what most people don't realize is that my mother... Um, was actually in, in law enforcement as well and was with Georgia State Patrol. My mom actually, she started off in, in the driver's license division and kind of worked her way up there, but uh, she was the first woman to ever reach the rank of lieutenant in the state of Georgia and actually was still the highest ranking female in the history of the Georgia State Patrol when she retired. And uh, she actually outranked my dad. <laughs> so oh, really? Dad, but, uh, yeah, and, uh, um, you know, and... Um, and then my brother went on to be, uh, you know, a highly decorated trooper in his own right. Uh, he actually, uh, you know, for several years headed up the Alpha team in Atlanta, which is the DUI task force. He, he led state DUI arrest, uh, you know, for a few years in a row out of like 1,500 troopers. Went on to be a, 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 um, a, a state patrol uh, uh, trainer at the academy, and then came back out into the field. And then actually uh, several years ago got recruited to come out of to step away from it. And once he started his family and, uh, and and kind of realized that working Metro Atlanta there's you know kind of like a war zone in certain places that he you know you know might you know might put himself in a compromising position that he didn't want to so he actually started his own business as a uh, expert witness for uh, drug cases and DUI cases and and now he makes a incredible living uh, uh, you know doing that and uh, and he's pretty much considered one of the top. Uh, you know, experts in the field, and he travels all over the country. You know, as expert witnesses for for big, you know, high-profile cases, and does very well. So, uh, but uh, as far as my dad's badge number, uh, this is something most people didn't know for a long time. I really didn't say anything about it for a long time. But uh, my dad passed away eight months before I got my my sign my deal with WCW, and uh, passed away unexpectedly uh, from a brain aneurysm. And um, my dad was my biggest fan, so he was the one that introduced me to my brother to wrestling when we were kids. We grew up watching it with my dad and stuff. And so he always wanted to see me, you know, make it, you know, so to speak, in the wrestling business. So my way to kind of pay, pay tribute to him, you know, uh, when the, my, my break came with Glacier, uh, signed in January of 96, um, is the guy who designed the armor, uh, Andre Freitas of AFX Studio. He said to me, yeah, I want you to have a hand in this. But I want, this is going to be your your personality. I want you to have a hand in, in what this personality is in this, this you know, this costume. And uh, so initially I said, there's only one thing I want. I said, in the chest plate of the armor, I'd like to have the numbers one, two, six put in the chest plate, and uh, um, and 
and, and he did. And, and it kind of blended into the design. But once you once you see it and you know it's there, it's very easy to spot. But uh, uh, and that was my way of kind of paying a solid tribute to my dad and you know saluting him every night when I went out. You know, saying you know that you know I was glad that he was. I'm glad I had great parents that supported me. And you know, uh, and, and so yeah, they, even though my mom was never a big wrestling fan, and, and to this day she's still not. <laughs> she still supports my <laughs> dream of being a wrestler. And uh, so uh, yeah, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I had a I had a great you know uh, had a great had a great childhood. And for some reason you don't hear that a lot in the wrestling industry. So I'm I'm even more proud of it that you know, coming to the wrestling industry. I had yeah, I can say that. And folks, once again, we want to thank you for listening to Cheap Pop Radio. And I know the, the sexy monkey should be known as the dirty monkey because he has quite the dirty mouth. But talk about things coming out of your mouth. What about Joe Gertner? He joined us on Cheap Pop Radio, and he had quite the bit to say about how he joined ECW. And don't don't fear, folks. We're going to let you hear the classic one-liner that only Joe Gertner can deliver as he came on to Cheap Pop Radio for the very first time. And believe me, folks, he'll come again. Ladies and gentlemen, we're being joined by one of the voices of Extreme Championship Wrestling. We're thrilled to have him on the show, and I couldn't do it any justice, so let's hear it from the man himself. Well, 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 it is I, the lyrical miracle, the sexual intellectual the cunning linguist, and the quintessential stud muffin. The man who, when he first went to the volunteer state, he thought it might be everything he feared. But then he called up your mama for loving, and your mama volunteered. The quintessential stud muffin, Joel, big paychecks, I am cashing. Your girlfriend loves my neck brace fashion and my penis passion. And if she was old enough when I was on the road to be making sex tapes and smashing, I would have got it on with Kim Kardashian. Gertner on Cheap Pop Radio. Keep listening and have yourself an eargasm. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. Ladies and gentlemen, Joel Gertner joining us right here on Cheap Pop Radio. How you doing, you guys? Have said that, you could have said that pyramid, J-Mac. Give me a break. Oh wow! What what an honor! You have not lost a step, brother. That was awesome. I appreciate it. Hey, you know what's curious? I got invited today to a Facebook group uh, that was started by the same people that started a Facebook group called Extreme Championship Wrestling, 1992 to 2001. That's been going so successfully; they have over 40,000 likes. So they started another one, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. 1991 to 1995, I will have you know I am this much of a wrestling mark. I was liker number 14 on that page and immediately got to work sharing my throwback 
Thursday picture from last Thursday, which was me and Jim Cornette from SummerSlam 91 weekend. And then I put up another one, which was the VHS case for Fire on the Mountain 92, which is taking place apparently almost to the date 22 years before the NWA Smoky Mountain Fire on the Mountain in Kingsport next week. Absolutely. Wow. Yep. Look at that. The wisdom. I. That's awesome. I saw the picture earlier, you and Jim Cornette, and uh, apparently I guess you were a big fan of NWA Smoke, Smoky Mountain, not even NWA, sorry, Smoky Mountain. Was, was Jim Cornette an influence for you? He was, yeah, in NWA and in WCW and Smoky Mountain all throughout his career, uh, all throughout the parts of it that I saw, and then everything before he got to uh, to the Crockett territory too, stuff like uh, Mid South and everything. Yeah, big time influence for sure. Definitely one of my idols, and uh, and that was the first time I'd ever met him, and obviously an honor and a privilege. And just saw him at a convention. I want to say maybe this past. September, maybe a little less than a year ago in New Jersey, and uh, we shared about five or ten minutes of conversation. Great guy. Brilliant, brilliant wrestling mind. And yeah, you know, just started working shows in 91, and uh, fast forward to 1995, and I was at the ECW Arena with some friends. Um, uh, Went to the ECW Arena show, went back to the hotel after the show, hanging out in the bar with my friends, getting to meet some of the wrestlers, some of whom I knew, some I didn't know. Um, And while I was there, I saw Paul Heyman there, and I approached him, and I said, you know, I go to Cornell University um, upstate. You guys have a show in Middletown, not too far away. Uh, I know your regular ring announcer and timekeeper, that crew, is based out of Philadelphia, and I'm not sure if they're already slated to be making that trip and if they've already committed, um, you know, as far as you guys having a ring announcer for that show or if you're still looking. Just wanted to put my name out there, and I told him about the work that I'd done in the last four years and, uh, you know, a mutual friend or two that we had and just let him know that, you know, if you're looking for somebody or if you need somebody, uh, I'd love the chance to, you know, audition and, and do it. And he just kind of looked at me, and he was like, you want it? And I was like, well, yeah. He was like, you got it. Be there by six. <laughs> wow. And that was it, really. Oh, and, my and that, God. You know, and, and that led to five and a quarter great years. Speaking about coming. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> I popped myself with that one. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my! Oh, go boy, with it. Run it with again. it, friend. Let's no, go we're again. going with it. It's live. <laughs> let's go again. Three, two, one. Speaking about coming, guess who was coming to Cheap Pop Radio? <laughs> That's horrible. I love it. Bob Bagwell, where did you take this show, J Mac? What happened? Oh, Buff Bagwell was on the show, and he spoke to us. Speaking about coming, where do you come up with this? He talked to us about his appearance on Gigolos. Let's take a listen. Uh, Make sure you protect your ears before you listen to this one. We've been doing the indies, and everybody's talking about this right now. 
You recently did the Canadian Destroyer. Where'd that come from? Where'd you get that idea? Oh, dude, believe it or not, believe it or not, my manager comes to me, and he lives in Cleveland, and I'm doing a documentary shoot tape. Um, I'm going on Steve Olson's podcast coming up in the very near future, um, but we're waiting until we get this video done, and it's just going to be a tell-all documentary that we're calling a docu-shoot. It's a documentary shoot. I mean, it's going, it shows me backstage going over matches all the way to matches, all the way to you know, eating dinner and, you know, traveling. There's a camera in the car on me. It's just basically, you know, about two and a half days with Buff Bagwell on what his life's like. And um, uh, it's great footage and all that. Well, during that, uh, I worked up there for AIW, and they were a really, really big, you know, smart mark crowd. And um, and I'm not the type of guy that they normally hire. You know, they're Ring of Honor guys. They don't really bring in names. So my my manager came up with the idea of, look, man, if you pull this move off, you will win this entire crowd over. And I thought he was crazy. But I went out and did the move, didn't practice it, didn't go over it. I just knew I could at least pull it off or come close to pulling it off. And went out and nailed it, and, man, it just it went viral, dude. It was nuts. It's People are talking. You know what? Whoever your manager was, they're absolutely right, because people are going nuts about it. Everybody's talking I about it. I know. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe <laughs> how much reaction we got out of it. And the boys, when I got to the back, would give me a standing ovation over it. So it really, it really made me feel good. I was very happy. And um, you know, just uh, I answered all. I was answering tweets all day long yesterday, and just thanking thanking the guys I wrestled because you know how that goes, and you're only as good as who you work, and and just thanking everybody. And they, they all, and them boys also got to see that I wasn't this demon that they had been told I was. I was really a really nice, genuine guy, and uh, and so they just fell in love with me and the. Crowd did too, and uh, we just had a real good showing up there during the docu shoot. So, uh, um, and you'll be you'll be hearing more about the, the documentary I'm doing. And once we do get it all edited and done, I'm gonna do Steve Austin's podcast and have a great podcast with him, hopefully. And then the tape will be up for sale, and uh, everybody will get a chance to see a real, true, you know, story. Uh, Buff Bagwell's real story, you know, and there's a lot in there, man. I'll, I'll give you one tease. I shot my father with a gun when I was 16. You know, so it, oh, man, I was already I, interested, but wow. My, my entire <laughs> life is in there, and it's a real good one, buddy. Oh, brother, I, honestly, so, I cannot wait. I was excited yeah. already, but wow, that little tidbit, yeah, say that on all the it's, it's a real good one, bro, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm, and it's a, it's a shoot, and it's great. So definitely tune in and get one of them, man. It's going to be great. Uh, you know, you know, we'll be tuning in, and uh, and uh, of course, best of luck with that too. But uh, you know, there's something else I want to ask you about real quick, and I know uh, okay. J Mac has one more question too. Sure, no problem. My my missus. Her her favorite show on TV right now is Gigolos, and she yes. wants to ask about your appearance on that Gigolos show and what your oh, yeah, wife how, thought of it. That's what she how said. How that but. came down, <laughs> how 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 all that came down was is, you know, obviously Vince is not going to hire me, or he would have probably already done it. I did go down to meet with TNA before they were firing everybody, and. They showed major interest and then kind of just quit calling. And so I was like, man, I'm not getting any younger, you know. And I got five or six, maybe ten good years left. I'm 44. I said, but, you know, I, I do need to make some move now. 
Well, my wife pulled up this, you know, uh, gigolo show on TV, on, on the Internet, and she was like, God, you know, I mean, this is something you could do, you know. So we checked it out and went out and shot a tape, and it was a little more dramatic and a little more, you know, a little more risque than we thought. So I had to come back home after shooting it, and my wife picked me up from the airport, and I said, hey, we got to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I said, this, I said, I said, this was a little bit more than we were thinking. So I told her about it, and uh, she was totally cool with it being, you know, zero uh, sexual. Um, but it is reality TV, so there are girls right there, all that. But there, you know, there, uh, there is, you know, a certain uh, degree that you know you you can't go, but so far because it is showtime. Um, and um, and a lot of people are misconceived by that, and they think it's you know like you know um, they think it's all real and everything. And not that it's not. The girls are they're they're not Showtime girls. They're girls that call in, and these guys that do this have a clientele. And I just haven't done it long enough yet to have a clientele. But really, what it boils down to, brother, is. Women are different than men. A woman would call a guy up, guy escort. And I really believe uh, there's more women that would do this than men, and that would be call a guy up just to go out and have a good time. Where you're not going to dial a girl's number unless, you know, you get something. And That's true. (laughs) You're not going to waste your time, and you're not going to waste $800 in two hours unless you definitely get something. So a girl, but a girl will, a girl will, a girl will get told how beautiful she is and how much fun they had and hang out and and all that. And I, I've, I've had two dates, and one of them was we rode Harleys, the other ones we rode horseback. And it's up to you where that goes. But uh, I am married, and TMZ was all over the fact of, you know, oh, you must be in an open relationship, and they were blown away that my wife allows me to do this, but we just look at it like everybody else should look at it, and that is, it's a show, it's called Showtime, you know, so, you know, because Tom Cruise has a love scene or a sex scene with whoever on Top Gun, uh, are they saying that that's real, you know, And but for some reason, because it was me, I think they just kind of went crazy with it, but, uh, you know, um, it just got me a tremendous amount of publicity. I have signed on for the sixth season, so keep in mind all of this, all of this footage and all of this talk has came back uh, from a 15-minute time spot on Genlo's. I'm going to be on the entire sixth season, so yes. I'm really excited about it. And it, that may be my biggest A to B switch. I would love to wrestle for WWF, I mean, WWE, and be part of them again. But it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So if Gigolos comes up and it happens first, then, you know, we'll see what happens. But I'm in real good shape. I feel fantastic. I had a real bad car wreck two years ago, April. I'm fully recovered from that, and I'm I'm ready to go. So uh, I'm, ready, I'm just kind of just holding back and seeing what's, what's next. And you go from talking about Gigolos. And we can't forget to mention the passing of Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey. And what a way to lead in to the Doctor of Desire. That's right, Dr. Tom Pritchard joined us. And not only did he team with Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey to form the Heavenly Bodies, he also was teamed with Chris Candido to form the Body Donnas. 
are your favorite your your favorite tag team of all time, were they? It was indeed. Let's take a listen to the time that his brother Bruce made him shave his head in order to team with Chris Candido. Uh, let's fast forward a little bit. Um, actually, I guess a whole lot to the pairing of when they put you and Chris Candido together. And we've actually got a soundbite that I just want to pause and take a listen to. It's from when we had Sonny on the show. So let's just take a quick listen to this, and we'll lead into our next question. Um, well, they needed, you know, they wanted a partner for Chris because they wanted to have, like, you know, the twin, twin thing going on, and they were trying to figure out who would work. And um, partially, it, it, it came about to be Tom for two reasons. Number one, Tom and Chris had worked together already for a few years between USA, USWA and Smoky Mountain, so they already had that, you know, they already had a down pat. They already clicked together. And the second part of it was a huge rib because in order to make Dr. Tom be Chris's twin, Bruce Pritchard was the one that was thrilled to death to tell his brother he had to shave off all his hair and bleach it blonde. <laughs> And knowing if you ever if you ever knew Tom, like his most cherished thing was his long brown curly hair. So it was kind of you know it was a good fit because they had that experience working together and they worked a lot of similar styles. But a majority of it was a rib by his brother just to get him to get him to shave his head and dye it blonde. So it was a combination of both. And they actually went, yeah, when we were in Hershey Park, Pennsylvania, that's when they were debuting, and um, we actually had to take Bruce. Bruce took a video camera down the road with Chris and Tom. We walked into the into a beauty salon, and all the girls flocked up to Tom. Oh, my God, your hair is so beautiful. What do you need done? And Tom, with this straight face, goes, I need to look like that, and just pointed at Chris. And they were, all the girls that worked there were like, oh, no, oh, my God, why? And he was like, I don't even want to discuss it. Just do it. And here's Bruce Pritchard holding the video camera, taping the whole thing, smiling from ear to ear. His face is bright red because so, he's so happy, and he filmed every block of hair that hit the floor. It was just, it was hysterical. Mm. Absolutely hysterical. <laughs> I would love to see that video. That is. But, and then the funniest part, and this wasn't even part of the plan, midway through the, um, through the haircut, in walks uh, Mr. Bob Backlund, seeing what's happening, and Bruce Pritchard gets him on film going, oh, my God, what is going on? This is a travesty. And, you know, with all his big words that he pulls out of the dictionaries. So that got on film, too. So that was some faceless uh, cinematography there that day. Get that on YouTube. Big that up. (laughs) And it was just, it was completely, completely coincidental that Mr. B walked in. He just had to get a crew cut, and he just happened to walk in when they were shaving Tom's head, and he caught on video. It it was priceless. I'm sure sure Bruce Pritchard has the tape locked away in a safe somewhere. So looking back at that interview there with that story, what was going through your mind? (laughs) I got to tell you, man, I will never forget that day. And I'll never forget my brother. Um, no, man. Listen, I, I thought up until the time I actually sat in the chair and they put the whatever it's called around my neck. Uh, yeah, and I thought I was going to be able to get out of it. Um, that was that was horrible. I never felt that gimmick. I hated that gimmick. I love Chris. Uh, but I hated that gimmick. I mean, it, you know, when you have your hair for so long and you're hiding behind it, it's a, it's a shield and, and, and it was a gimmick. But it wasn't. It wasn't a gimmick. It was. It becomes a part of you, and all of a sudden you lose it, and and, and you're, you have nothing to hide under, and you're pretty much naked. 
God, it was terrible. And I just, I did not feel the body down again at all. And I knew what they were doing. I knew it. And I just, uh, I tried to, tried to live with it and tried to do it. And I did the best I could. In fact, um, here's, here's another story for you. Uh, in Madison's, Madison Square Garden, uh, you know, Sonny was our manager. Um, and Vince takes us in his office and says, guys, I want to, want to throw an idea at you. And I'm just I'm just happy to have a job right now. I, I wasn't in the mood to speak up. I was just wanting to do things and, and get paid. But he says, look, we want to take Sonny away from you and, and have you come out with a transvestite. And Chris looked at him and said, I think that's the most stupidest idea I've ever heard in my life. And I thought, oh, God, no, please don't say that. But it was. It was the stupidest idea. And we had a friend of Chris's, Jimmy Shoulders, come out and dress as transvestite. Now, how in the world was I going to get you over as a baby face when you just got the hottest chick in the Misty, the most downloaded, downloaded uh, internet celebrity, whatever she was at the time? Then let's let's take her away from you and give you a transvestite. Oh, that, that yeah, they'll cheer for you then. Yeah. So, <laughs> Christ's sake. So they, they cut my hair, and they, I had to dye it blonde. I hated dyeing it blonde, and I just, you know, my ears are sticking out. I got this cauliflower left ear, and it just really made me so conscious. Uh, plus, I couldn't hide behind my hair, and that was pretty much what I did when I got on a plane or went anywhere and just let my hair go on my face. You couldn't see me. I couldn't see you, and I was a heel, and I am a heel, and that's that just – now I had to look at you, and you could see my eyes, and you could see everything I was doing. I just I didn't like it at all. And going to the ring, oh, God, it was terrible. <laughs> just, just I did not feel it, man, that the short blonde crew cut and, and being a little body down him. Crap! It was terrible. Yeah, just a, just Have a you seen the video? Start to finish, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it was a rib, and I, you know, they didn't think I knew that. But yeah, I knew that because I know that's the way they operate. You know, after being in the office, I really found out how they operate, and then I thought, okay, cool. So. You know, go ahead and have your fun, have your rib, but, um, and, and, you know, they say forgive and forget. Well, I forgave, but I don't forget. You know, it's kind of hard. But have you seen the video since? Uh, no, but I I don't think you (laughs) Because no, they don't no, think you want no. to, would you? <laughs> no, no, but but that was that was crazy because uh, Backlund walked in and just uh, I never will forget it. He came over and started. <laughs> he was he was he was Bob Backlund. I mean, he just went right into being Bob, and uh, of course he never left being Bob. He was always Bob. He just uh, that was that was Backlund. You know how you how you saw him, and and yeah. before he would sign an autograph, you had to recite all the presidents of the United States, or you didn't get an autograph. So, um, needless wow. to say, yeah, yeah, needless. To say, we went back to Hershey Park, and that night we had a match, a dark match, and it was an eight man. I don't remember who was in it, but I was standing there on the on the apron, just going, "This is sucking bad." And I, I mean, and, and that's, that's the deal again, just real quick, not to be off subject too much, but talking earlier about how did you learn or, or you know, what was it like earlier in, in learning different styles. You have to feel it, man. You can't be something you're not because people can feel it and you can feel it. That's like Santino is a perfect example of a guy who, who feels it. He is that cartoon. He can be a cartoon when he wants to be, but he's also a serious guy when he needs to be. And I've seen both sides of him, and that's pretty impressive to be able to just go into that cartoon phase and uh, have it be you, you know, and feel it, have fun with it. The body down a gig, nope, didn't feel it, didn't want it, didn't have fun with it at all. 
And now, you know what, an actual real close personal friend of mine, a man I traveled up and down the road with uh, for, I couldn't even tell you how many years we wrestled all across the U.K., and we shared ooh, ooh, some... Question. I've got a question. Uh-oh. You said up and down the roads. Just to be clear, folks, that's on the opposite side of the roads that we drive here in the States. But go ahead, Monkey. Yes, we traveled on the opposite side of the road. Thank you very much for that <laughs> clarification there, Jay Back. We traveled, uh, I guess we traveled parallel along the roads then instead of up and down. <laughs> Across the U.K., We've wrestled in halls and holiday camps everywhere. And uh, we've even shared a a very special moment uh, after a match in the hospital. I don't know if I... uh, Maybe maybe this shouldn't make the best of. Maybe we don't need to go into this one. What do you think, J-Mac? I don't know. roasting on an open fire. Oh, I'm cringing right now as we go to lead into this next one, a story that J-Mac enjoyed much more than I did. Here's Paul Terrell, and he'll go ahead and fill you in (laughs) on these nuts. (laughs) Oh, monkey, you're nuts. Let's go do it, folks. (laughs) I mean, the the ultimate holiday camp story has got to be the, uh, the match I had with you, though, Patrick. Oh the, uh, my the, goodness! The the match that was just a little bit. That's that's the one. Go on, t- go on and tell them. <laughs> well, there was a match I had with Patrick, the sexy monkey, and uh, for the finish, I put Patrick up on the top rope, climbed up, and uh, gave him the hurricane runner off the top rope. Unfortunately for Patrick, as he came off the top rope, the uh, the top turnbuckle hook got snagged just a little bit underneath his. Uh, his manhood and uh it ripped open it ripped open the back of his testicles and uh patrick got back in the change rooms and said he was in a little bit of pain so we took him off to the local hospital and uh we're sitting there in the waiting room at the local hospital patrick's got blood running down his legs and he's wondering if he'll ever have children and uh the most beautiful nurse you've ever seen walks out and calls the next patient in off they go Another beautiful nurse walks out and calls the next patient in. Off they go. And I'm saying to Patrick, look on the bright side, mate. At least the nurses at this hospital are all really, really beautiful. And about five minutes later, this little old Pakistani man walks out with a clipboard. He's about three feet tall. He's got a little wrinkly face. He's got about three grey hairs sticking out of his head. And he says, Patrick Carolan? And he took you off and put ten stitches in the back of your nuts. I have never laughed so much in my life. <laughs> oh, you all are calling me KP for the for the longest time after that, about a couple of years after that. Oh, but what does it say about British wrestling? You couldn't wrestle for the next three days, but you still came around <laughs> to all the shows and all the boys clubbed in did. and made sure you still got paid your wages. They did. That's absolutely true. That's something you, you just don't see on the Indies anymore. And that's something to definitely put over. I was injured. They still kept me on the tour. You know, just don't sit out. Don't worry. They all chipped in and made sure I still got my wages that I could still uh, survive. And that was really cool and something that you just don't see anymore. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But uh, I don't know if it's worth uh, ripping my nuts over, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy's loving it. I know he's... he's 
Oh, I am. We were joined by Maryland Championship Wrestling Tag Team, the Hellcats. We want to send out a quick congratulation to them on their recent winning of the Maryland Championship Wrestling Tag Team Championships. But while they were on the show, they gave us a quick history behind exactly who the Hellcats are and what their toughest challenge has been to date. Let's take a listen to the Hellcats. Now, one thing, for the fans that of our listeners that aren't familiar with Sexy Steve and Jimmy Stars, give us a quick history lesson on exactly who you all are. Uh, I mean, we're, we're pretty much two guys that you see is what you get. We're two guys that just are in that ring. We're, we're taking names. We're kicking asses, and we, we just love to have fun doing it. I mean, uh, you know, people want to ask us uh, where we got the name the Hellcats, and, you know, there's a lot of speculation on what, uh, what THC means, but... You know, just give a little shout out right now to uh, to John Waters and uh, a, good, a good movie called Cry Baby. That's a great movie. You kids out there listening, definitely go check it out. Yeah, we're the we're the next era of uh, the high school Hellcats from the movie Cry Baby. I don't know if you it's a great flick. You guys ever seen it? But uh, I mean, when you look at it, you can tell being bad never looked this good. So there's no question about it. Now, prior to actually teaming up. Did, I guess, did you all have any history with each other? I mean, I mean, just just teaming up is, is what it's always been. It's it's always been. It's it's not even about in the ring. It's just it's just a mutual friendship, just a lifelong friendship that's always been there. And just throwing on tights and just getting in the ring is just another thing that adds to us. You know, deep down inside, we're still we're still the best. Inside the ring, outside the ring, we're the Hellcats. You know, BFFEs mess with us. You DIE. Run with us or run from us, you know what I'm saying? Now, now, Hellcats, let's get into uh, the Hellcats and where their goals are set, where you're, where you're heading, where do you want to go? Do you, you want to be, of course, the uh, MCW Tag Champs. Do you want to move farther? Do you want to uh, maybe go ahead and go up to that TNA, WWE? Do you want to wrestle overseas? Or are, is your main objective MCW Tag Champs and take over Maryland? Well, right now, the only objective on our table is February 8th, MCW Anniversary, Joppa Marketplace, 1000 Joppa Farm Road, and uh, that's when we destroy Buckchild and G-Fed, erase them from existence. You will no longer ever hear of the former MCW Tag Team Champions, G-Fed and Buckchild. You'll know them as, hey, aren't those those guys that the Hellcats destroyed that night? The Hellcats are always looking at right in front of us, worried about the thing that's right in front of us, the goal that's right in front of us. And right now, that's the MCW Tag Team title. That's the only thing we're worried about. We're not worried about next month. We're not worried about a year from now. We're worried about February 8th, Joppa Marketplace, taking those MCW Tag goals. Now, let's say, let's just lay this out. You win the tag titles. If you could go to the promoter and tell them, that you had one match that you wanted to be able to defend the titles against for the first time, who would your dream challengers be? Well, we'd have to to pull some strings and get a lot of funding for this, but we would definitely look into a cloning process and have to get a Hellcats versus Hellcats tag match, hands down. It's it's really the only challenge that is there for us. And that's including anybody. Anybody. I mean, I, I, I think we could whoop Andre the Giant and Brock Lesnar 
about three minutes. And I'd put that over the Young Bucks. I'd put that over Rich Schwann and Ricochet. I'd put that over Adam Cole and uh, O'Reilly. I'd put that over any tag team that, that you'd want to throw in MCW to throw our way. There's no doubt that night in, night out, we're going to come out on top. You know, regardless whether whether we're on the mat, they're on the mat, regardless, at the end of the night, the last team you're thinking about is the Hellcats. Awesome. <laughs> we definitely had an interview that wasn't miserable at all, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Oh, anyway. It's like she's your cousin from Canada, right? Never mind, Monkey, go ahead and go with it. A young lady that I've known for a long, long time. Um, close personal friend of uh, J-Max and mine, actually. Uh, Miss Angelina Love graced us with her presence on the show. And uh, J-Max had a ton to say to her, actually, as far as I can recall. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah hey, that's the same question you asked her last time. <laughs> he got, he actually, absolutely... Uh, was starstruck. He got dumbfounded talking to Angelina Love. But don't worry, I carried this interview. She told us a little bit about the beautiful people and winter. Let's hear from Angelina Love. And uh, speaking speak of how, how well it did and how well you did there, uh, how did the uh, beautiful people gimmick come about? Uh, well, Bubba and I had been friends prior to being in TNA. And um, when we got to TNA, we were always just hanging out with each other. You know, we like... We kind of have the same personalities and the same likes and dislikes and the same sense of humor. And we were kind of like, you know, we dressed alike and the way that we dressed in our gear was alike. And we just had, like, a lot of similarities and we really enjoyed hanging out with each other. So, like, we, you know, we had thought about maybe doing something together because um, just every girl in the knockout division was so different, which is what made it so unique. And we would have been the only, like, everybody was just, like, a single wrestler. So we were like, well, let's do a tag team thing. Like, let's do something together because nobody else is doing that. Um, it'll be something cool, and it'll give us different opportunities as opposed to just having, like, ten single female wrestlers. Um, and then, you know, we would just always hang out together at TV, and we would always be traveling together and staying in the hotel together, and we're just walking around together. And, and everybody would come up to us and be like, you guys should be a tag team. Like, are you guys, like, you should be a tag team. You should be a tag team. And we were like, yeah, we were thinking about that too, you know, and then we got to, a chance to talk to Vince Russo about it, and then everything just snowballed from there. And do you, some people say, now, I don't want to, I don't know if I'll get, I'll ask the question anyway. I don't want to get your heat off of anything. But a lot of people say that uh, when Lay Cool came up with their gimmick that they were directly ripping you off. Do you did you have any feelings toward that? Did you even watch it? Do you even know what? Uh, I didn't know about it. Um, Velvet and I were. It was kind of pointed out to us, like on the internet. Um, I wasn't uh, uh, aware of it beforehand, but yes, I've heard that numerous times, and I know <laughs> like that. I, said, I, I don't want to get you any WWE, heat off of it or whatever, but I no, mean, I know WWE knew what the beautiful people was. Um, we knew that it had been watched. Whether or not it was a direct copy, I mean, I'll never know. But it's yeah. like it's a it's a very fun um, and easy you know thing for a girl group to do. So um, yeah, I really like. Anytime anybody asks me that, I'm like, I don't know, maybe. But <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't there, and I don't know what creative talked about. So like, I don't know. Was it similar? Yes, but 
you know, if you look at the logistics of it, it's like two girls acting like bitches and this and that and whatever, you know. But but in our own separate ways, we were different from each other, you know. So, how did the uh, angle with uh, Winter come about? Oh, I don't know. That was all Vince. I, yeah, I remember being very um, very surprised hearing about it because just as 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 how they were um, pairing the girls off for new storylines and stuff. She's actually probably the last person that I would have thought to put with me. But, you know, Vince really wanted her to be with someone who had been there for a while and, you know, who knew the deal there. And, I mean, it was uh, – it was uh, the whole time she was in TNA was with me. So, yeah, that was that was Vince's idea. Gotcha. Yeah, because uh, it seemed a little bit uh, – I don't know. I thought it was a weird pairing, too, to be honest. But I mean, you yeah. guys made it work. I don't want to. I don't want to say anything about it. But you know what I mean? You made it well, work. Well, I'll make but, uh... anything work, brother. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe... I won't take that away from you ever. <laughs> yeah, I'll make, I'll make anything work. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us on this episode of the best of Cheap Pop Radio. And I can't think of a better way to close the show than with the man that's going to be a future WWE Hall of Famer, in my opinion, the man that made the crossover from Ultimate Fighting. To the square, to the squared circle, the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock, joined us right here on Cheap Pop Radio. He discussed discussed with us his time in the WWE and his big move to get back there with the Shamrock movement. Let's take a quick listen. What brought you from, uh, you know, Pride and UFC to go on over to WWE or WWF at the time? Well. When I actually was uh, in the UFC, the one thing that I always told myself in my family is that I was going to do pro wrestling or then eventually I ended up going into the MMA world, which, which was the UFC. But I started out starting out in, in wrestling. And the one thing that I that that I talked about and, and always had true with me and my father and my children and my wife was that um, they came first. And the minute I couldn't support them was the time that I had to find another job because I couldn't do this if I couldn't support them. And it came to that where I think a lot of people, you know, when they don't know everything, they always say, I sold out for the money and this and that. You know, I take it with a grain of salt. People always have what they hear and the things they think that, that happened. But the reality of it is, is I couldn't pay my bills. And I had to do another find another job and that's how I got locked into wrestling was because I took my skills uh, and I actually put them into something that I thought would, would cross over into something that I would enjoy and that the fans could follow me and enjoy and cheering and then they got back on its label again and then once I got into pro wrestling and I started doing it a lot I almost didn't want to leave pro wrestling I wanted to do MMA and pro wrestling both of them at the same time because I enjoyed both of them very much oh that and uh that would have been uh, something. I think that would have been fantastic. Obviously, there was uh, there was uh, other things that uh, di- didn't let it happen. But I would have loved to see you doing both at the same time. I know uh, a few other people tried to do the transition as well, but it's a little bit tough when you're working with two companies. But uh, hey, I tell you what, I'm very happy that you went to WWE. Big uh, fan of your work in, in both promotions. Uh, but did you find it difficult to tra- the transition from? Uh, you know, from MMA going over to pro wrestling, did you did did you find it a little bit difficult at first? Anyway, making making the switch, or or did you already have it down pretty much? Actually, I thought the toughest part was um, 
clients who get the the actual boys to really understand that, you know, that I wasn't going to hurt them, you know, that I was going in to do the same jobs that they were doing. This was a sport and that, you know, I wasn't going to intentionally try to crush anybody. Um, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, it's competitive. So they had to understand that, you know, when my opportunity comes, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to get it. Oh yeah, no, no doubt. And I was, I was going to ask you a, a little bit about that. You already kind of touched on it. Was there that intimidation factor? Some of the boys maybe like, uh, you know, trying trying to single you out. Trying to was it like a jealousy or, or an intimidation kind of thing. Did you have any trouble in the locker room, or was it was it uh, you know once you once you got in, they they started to accept you when they seen that you were the real deal. Well, I think that once I built up the trust. Uh, you know, I usually got in a ring with somebody one time, and, and, you know, that was all I needed, so. Nice. Um, so it was, it, it really did. It really, after I got in there once or twice, uh, it went really well. So, uh, it, but like I said, it's still a couple different guys. Um, I had to make sure they understood, too, that I wasn't going to be taken advantage of either. Uh, is is uh, do you think is that why they brought you in like special guest referee feel you out first or did they bring you in with the special guest referee and say okay let's sign this guy which way was it we already signed and they said okay do the special guest referee thing and then bring you in that way well I I think Vince had um, already a thought in his mind on the direction he needed to go and he thought yeah. that's what he wanted to do was push the envelope he wanted to change how people looked at pro wrestling he wanted it to be more competitive more edgy. Yeah. And when he put that match together, by bringing me in as a referee, I think it added that that um, wow. This this isn't the same. This isn't the same stuff we've been watching for the past thirty, forty years. This is the real deal. And uh, so by putting Stone Cold and Bret Hart, who were two guys that were just you know badass wrestlers, uh, would knock the socks off anybody. Um, get in there and put on a match, and then with me being the guest referee, with me coming from an MMA world, it just literally exploded the the world of wrestling in a completely different direction. This is the real deal, and we are not taking crap from anybody. Oh yeah, definitely. I definitely think it definitely gave that. Uh, like you said, it just changed the direction. I guess that you did put it the best way because then you're like, wow, hold on a minute. This isn't the cheesy stuff that we've been seeing, people dancing around and everything else. This is this is getting real. This is getting something I want to see. And obviously you've seen the ratings explode from there. And this is a message for for Hunter and, and Vince and Brock Lesnar and The Rock or anybody out there that I that didn't listen. I understand pro wrestling. I understand that there's things out there uh, nothing personal, man. This is just straight-up business. And I just want that message to go out to them. Straight-up business. That's it. Nothing personal. And what a show it's been, Monkey. I'm surprised we made it through it. Uh, I am still in shock, and i got to admit that, that we even uh, attempted to pull this off. Pull it off, coming and going. Hell, folks, it was an action-packed show. That's what you get with Cheap Pop Radio. Uh, you I'm never know what you're going to get. And everywhere I go. <laughs> you, uh, 
We had the coming and going, the pulling. We had the screw job. We had the gigolos. We had nuts. Ah, and then we had beautiful people. And folks, you know, I want to know how did Doyle Day not make the best of? There's a reason he's never made the best of anything, folks. We want to thank you for joining us on this great episode of Cheap Pop Radio. I'm Jay Mac. He's the sexy monkey. He may be back at another point. Who knows, folks? It just depends. Thanks for joining us. And tune in again next week with our next guest. You want to know who it is? Uh, Tune in next week. Sure. Thanks for joining. Who is it? <laughs> sure. Tune in sure. Next I, week I'm to dying to find out. To be is it continued. Troy? Is it Troy Beasley? Spoke. It's Doyle Day. Yes. I'm going to be on that show. Yeah. <laughs> Folks, thanks for joining us on this legendary episode of Cheap Pop Radio. I'm Jay Mackey, the sexy monkey. And who knows when we'll see you again. Thanks for listening. <laughs>